When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the left versus the right. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios, it's a 77 WABC debate. It's the grapple in the Big Apple, round two. 77 WABC. So welcome to Left versus Right. I'm Anthony Weiner from the left, and this week on the show we have once again Roger Stone representing the right. This is the second time that we've done this. You might have noticed, for those of you who are careful listeners, whether on WABCRadio.com or on the app, we're 770, 770 all up and down the East Coast, that we've changed this format a little bit. And now we're doing kind of old-fashioned debate shows. Roger Stone and I did it last week. Roger, welcome back. What did you think of the show last week? Uh, Anthony, I really appreciated being on with you. I thought we had a great, uh, high-toned, civil, and vigorous debate, which is why I have looked forward to this rematch. Well, as as have I. Now, we did get a little bit of feedback. One one feedback says these guys didn't yell at each other as much as we were used to all the yelling that went on when Anthony and John debated or Curtis. And then some people reached out and said by a fairly healthy margin they thought you won the last debate. But I think that's fake news, Roger. What do you think? Well, those are all those people I had calling in. Anthony. Come on, no, look, I don't think we, I don't think we achieve anything by calling each other names or, or by launching odd ham and odd ad hominem attacks. We're here to talk about the issues facing the country in what is going to be and already is one of the most exciting presidential campaigns in our lifetime. Yeah. So, so uh, let's do it. Well, I appreciate it. Well, there's no shortage. You know, you and I back and forth during the week, you know, what are the issues we're going to cover? And the list reached like 20 or 30 different issues. This has been the craziest week and a week after craziest week. So let's just hop right into it. The news chronologically, we didn't actually get to it. We went off the air just after this kind of became public last week. Independent counsel looking into document possession that Joe Biden had. This thing took forever, $3 million dollars. Uh, it took 15 months to do this investigation, and they seemed to come up with a split verdict. On one hand, they weren't going to charge Joe Biden, but there was some language that I know many on the right were just thrilled about. Basically, Joe Biden sounded old. He sounded forgetful. And which part of that do you want to focus on, Roger Stone? Uh, I'd rather go to the substance of it. We can get back to, to those comments. First of all, I think it's important to recognize that Attorney General Merrick Garland, appointed by President Joe Biden, could have appointed any special counsel he wanted. Uh, under the appointments clause, uh, it would be safest and I think uh, uh, most uh, legally solid to appoint uh, a sitting uh, U.S. attorney or a sitting prosecutor. That's what he did in this case. But there has been an assault on Mr. Hur, calling him a uh, a Republican. I don't believe he is uh, calling him uh, a, a partisan. Uh, he's not. He's a holdover uh, only in the sense that he is uh, a career prosecutor, but both in government service and in the few times he was outside government service, 
Uh, he worked for uh, former acting U.S. Attorney, pardon me, acting Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, former U.S. Attorney Rod Rosenstein, and then, of course, FBI Director Christopher Wray, neither one of them known as ardent advocates for President Donald Trump. So he's trustworthy. Uh, look, I think he did the job he was asked to do. Uh, I, quoting directly from his report, he says, our investigation undercovered evidence that President Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials after his vice presidency when he was a private citizen. Quoting again from his report, these materials included A, marked classified documents about military and foreign policy in Afghanistan, and Two, notebooks containing Mr. Biden's handwritten entries about issues of national security and foreign policy implicating sensitive intelligence sources and methods. FBI agents recovered these materials from his garage, offices, basement den, uh, and the basement den in Mr. Biden's Wilmington, Delaware home. That tells me that, uh, that President Biden acted in violation of the law. Well, you know, first of all, I think it's I, I really do appreciate your honesty about independent councils, that they are chosen. They're independent from the Justice Department. It's not a perfect system, just so our listeners understand how this works. You talked about the impeachment, the um, appointments clause. That's not really where it is. There's a special law about independent councils. And the reason is, if there's anything that touches the administration or anything that seems political, you need to have someone that goes out and prosecute. And so the, the, since the, the, the days of, of, uh, of Richard Nixon, there has been this effort to have these independent councils. Smith is an independent council. This guy's an independent council. Weiss that's investigating. Um, Hunter Biden, independent councils. And so I think you do have to kind of give what they say, even though they're going to have backgrounds. This guy had a Republican background. I'm not terribly concerned about this, about that part of it, because, frankly— it, it was free from it was any free from any meddling from the from the Biden administration, just like it has the other independent councils. And the way you know that is they let him put in this stuff about his forgetfulness and his age that were completely inappropriate to be put into a document like this. This must be a legal document. But I will say this. The report is an utter mess. You read some sections where it talked about evidence that was found. But at the end of the day, I'm going to read from it, too. Page 170. We do not know whether Biden willfully retained the classified documents or consulted them when writing his book. Page 177. We cannot prove Biden retained these documents willfully. Page 221. Because we cannot prove he knew the memo was classified when he left office, we cannot prove he retained the memo willfully. 307, the innocent explanation for retention of the classified documents for eyes only is not only plausible, but better explanation than one for will for retention. This thing is all over the map. It allows your side to quote something, my side to quote something. But the most important thing that I found in this whole thing is the contrast between Trump and Biden. Let me give you a couple of those contrasts. One, obviously, in one case, there was no prosecution. In the other case, Donald Trump had 40 felony counts. The Biden team self-reported all these documents, immediately alerted law enforcement. On the Trump side, the archives found the documents, and law enforcement had to issue a subpoena and search warrant because Donald Trump would not give them back. Joe Biden said to his staff, return everything. 
What did Trump do? According to his own lawyer, he suggested that his attorney hide or destroy the documents. And so it's very different the way these two things were handled. And I have a question for you, given your knowledge of this case and your knowledge of Donald Trump. Why did Donald Trump fight so hard to keep these documents that he wasn't allowed to have? Well, first of all, I think he believes that under the 1977 Presidential uh, Records Act that he is indeed entitled to have them. Actually, that act does not regard a vice presidents or former U.S. senators. I also, in all honesty, I reject this notion that he uh, refused uh, to cooperate. He actually delayed his return to New Jersey in June of 2022, he allowed FBI agents and the chief of the Department of Justice's Counterintelligence Bureau into Mar-a-Lago to conduct uh, the second search that he allowed uh, to look for security failures. Uh, actually, elsewhere in Mr. Hur's document, he says that the, the search of President Biden's home in Delaware was conducted without his consent. So this idea that Trump uh, didn't cooperate, but Biden did. Uh, I find that to be inaccurate. Was there any subpoena issued in the Biden case, or did he turn it over voluntarily? Uh, I can't address the question. Uh, I do not know. Yeah, I mean, the answer... I'm sorry, go ahead. uh, uh, Look, I I think that uh, NARA uh, and the Department of Justice here have a political motive. I think the president was engaged in good faith negotiation, but I actually think at the end of the day, and we'll find this out in court, I guess, uh, that he was entitled to keep these documents. Now, in the case of Joe Biden, he shared classified information with a ghostwriter who was working on a book, a book, by the way, for which he got an $8 million advance, but that ghostwriter destroyed those tapes when he learned that this investigation had been opened. Is that not uh, uh, the uh, obstruction of justice through uh, the destruction of evidence? Well, I mean, I can I can read you from page 10 of the report. The evidence does not show that when Mr. Biden shared the specific passages with the ghostwriter, he knew those passages were classified. There were no markings on it. But getting back to the Biden thing for us, for the Trump thing for a second, you know, it, it is now uh, uh, not even disputed by Trump's own docu- by Trump's own filings that he they they said you've got to subpoena me. He refused to sit down for an interview about it. Quite different than than Joe Biden. And then, according to the evidence that's in the indictment, that he attempted to delete security footage to conceal evidence. Putting aside whether or not he had a right to keep these things, I ask you, Roger Stone, he fought so hard. He moved them around. He sold it. He, 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 he told, he repeatedly said he would not give them back. I don't understand. This is the great mystery to me, and maybe we'll only learn this in trial unless you know it. Why did Donald Trump so desperately want to hold on to these documents? Uh, I suspect that it has to do with what the documents pertain to, and that's the find part I have the most problem with right now. Special Counsel Smith is fighting in the Florida court to keep a seal on the content of these documents, not only uh, to deny that information to the to the uh, to the defendant, Donald Trump, but to deny it to the American people. Here's how we could solve all of this, Anthony. Let's make uh, the tapes of Mr. Biden's interviews with special counsel her public. 
Kind of like they did with the Nixon Watergate tapes. Let's hear them and let the American people I will, decide. How about this? I'll agree to that. We, how about the interview with Donald Trump with, say, the Mueller independent prosecutor? Should we let make that one public? Uh, I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. It'd probably be very entertaining. It doesn't exist because Donald Trump refused to sit down with independent counsel. Once again, Joe Biden not only sat down with him, he sat down, I think, for five hours over two days right after the— Look, it's a very different posture that these two guys have. And let me read you from, from, from the report of the, of the Biden. This is from the independent counsel who talked about how old and feeble and everything else Joe Biden was. And this is a quote. Most notably, after given multiple chances to return classified documents and avoid prosecution, Mr. Trump allegedly did the opposite. According to the indictment, he not only refused to return the documents for many months, but also obstructed justice by enlisting others to destroy evidence. In contrast, Mr. Biden turned in classified documents to the National Archives and Department of Justice, consented to the search of multiple locations, including his homes, sat for voluntary interview, and in other ways cooperated. One guy, who's, by the way, the president you look at as being the top law enforcement guy in the country, you want him to be following the laws. One guy said, I'm an open book, and the other guy said, I'm going to move it to Mar-a-Lago bathrooms, I'm going to delete videotapes, and I'm going to tell people to lie. It's a very different posture that I think the American people are going to see. Uh, those are, of course, allegations. Here's the great thing about America. One is innocent until proven guilty. I'd like to see the Florida matter go to trial. I think that the special counsel here uh, and NARA particularly have a political motivation, but uh, uh, let, let's see what the trial shows. I, I've never heard of the National Archives being political, but all right. That's uh, what... f- find me the conservative who's appointed there or the nonpartisan. I ha- I, but listen, fair enough. I, I've been in political life a long time. You've even longer than I. I have never heard the archives become part of any controversy around politics. But I also want a trial to move ahead for another reason. It's going gonna, it's gonna to further add to my fame because one, one piece of audio tape that is available is Donald Trump showing a top-secret plan to a bunch of people and mentioning me on the tape, saying, I bet you if Hillary Clinton had this, he'd give it to Anthony Weiner. But um, we'll have more of that for sure, hopefully coming up soon. So let's move on to, to the, the next issue from this week. Again, we're kind of moving in chronological order. The Republicans had said, we're not going to take up any aid package to Israel or Ukraine um, unless it is attached to strong border security legislation so the Congress negotiated that. It came to, it came out. It was immediately shot down by the House and the Senate. So they went to Plan B, which is, again, to return to try to get the Israeli aid, aid to Ukraine, also aid to Taiwan. Um, and it passed the Senate in a bipartisan way. Now it's in the House. And the House not only didn't vote up or down on it, they went on an extended break in the House. Now, what is your view? Should the House stay in session and deal with this and try to help out our allies overseas? Uh, no, I, if I were in the House and I were as a member of Congress, which I will never be, I would uh, vote uh, against it. Look, we, we are kind of rehashing what we did last week. We have very, very different views of the legislation, the so-called Schumer-Lankford bill, because uh, I argued that it really wouldn't change anything at, at the border. The speakers made it very clear that assistance for Ukraine, uh, or in this particular case, also uh, for Israel, uh, and for, I guess there's Taiwan is in there as well, had to be tied to actual meaningful action at the border. Now they have sent him a bill that has nothing to do with the border. 
uh, you know, there are homeless veterans in New York City, many of them. Uh, I'm sorry, but I really think we ought to be spending on America first. I'm more concerned about our border than I am with the Ukrainian border. Yeah, I, you know, I've heard this line before. Oh, my goodness, we have so much needs at home. And then it's funny how Republicans slash budgets for our homeless veterans as well. But let, let's leave the immigration thing aside. You're right. That's been covered. That is now now dead. They The Republicans appointed someone to negotiate for them. They got basically everything they asked for. And But now we're moving on. Now we have this situation where, frankly, Ukraine needs our help. The European community has has stepped up. It's gotten it's gotten worse. Uh, now the Russians have apparently killed Lavalny in jail. I mean, Israel, the situation there is again their their credit rating has been lowered because of the of the precarious situation that they're in. It does seem like now the immigration part of it is going to go to the voters. I heard over and over again people say that on the floors of Congress. Let people decide at the ballot box. Well, does that mean that we don't do any foreign aid for our allies um, up until then? Now, I know that you have described yourself on this program before as not necessarily a traditional Republican. I honor that. I respect that. But representing the right, representing those in, in Congress— Representing the views of the, of the conservative sense of what our country should be about, are we really going to let Putin, Xi, anyone else just invade a fellow country and because we can't figure out our immigration policies allow them to do that? Fortunately, overwhelming majorities in the House and Senate believe that we should aid Israel and Ukraine. And what's holding it up now is basically... It sounds to me like the Donald Trump whispering in the background that he doesn't want to do that. I think that we have to show our allies that we're going to stand up for them. And uh, that's clearly not happening. Uh, we've given Ukraine, uh, by my calculation, somewhere around $250 billion. Anthony, that ain't exactly chopped liver. Uh, we give Israel one point. I think it's $1.4 billion a year. That's not exactly nothing. So, uh, yeah, I really do think that we need to put American priorities first. Let me ask you a question. Do you think the Ukrainian war effort is going well? I think that it's not going well without our help, and I think it needs every bit of our help. And if you talk about how much expense, how much do you think it would require of our assets if we had to engage in a land war in Europe when he goes to the next country? Or how much do you think? There, there would, is, uh, go ahead. How I'm much sorry. do you think would be involved if 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 she said, "Huh, I see what this Republican Party is about. I'm going to go take Taiwan." I mean, you know, here's the problem: action sometimes is expensive. Inaction is very often more expensive. And we're about 30 seconds to the break, so I'll give you last word. I reject the idea that Putin has territorial uh, aspirations, even on Ukraine. What he doesn't want is NATO missiles uh, pointed at, uh, at Ukraine in violation of both the Minsk Accords and the Budapest Memorandum, both of which we agreed to and are now in this war violating. Well, thank, well, you make it really hard for me to give you the last word when you say stuff like that, but I'm going to honor that. This is Left versus Right. It's Anthony Weiner on the left, Roger Stone on the right, and we'll be right back after this break. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. 
It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. It's the left versus the right. It's a 77 WABC debate. It's the grapple in the Big Apple. Round two. 77 WABC. And welcome back to Left versus Right. Now, this is Left versus Right, usually with Curtis Slee or John Katsimatidis. This week, once again, Left versus Right with me, Anthony Weiner, on the left and Roger Stone on the right. Every week, Roger Stone, you hear him here on 77 WABC and all across the interwebs from 4 to 6 on Sunday on the Roger Stone Show. You can reach him at stonezone.com. I can be reached at wienerwabc at gmail.com. I've stopped giving out my Twitter and my X and everything else. And we're going over this very busy news week. And uh, next up is the first kind of electoral test, true electoral test that's not a poll, it's not punditry. It was an actual test, New York 3. George Santos was tossed out. um, uh, uh, And a swing state, it's not a swing state, a swing district became open. Tom Swazi's old district, he came back to run it for it again. Philip, Mazi Philip, I think was, was her name. It was polling very close, and at the end it wasn't that close. It was about an eight-point victory for the Democrat. A nice win for the Democrats. I'm not sure how much it means in the big picture, but what do you think, Roger? Uh, I think the lesson of the story is when the Republicans nominate a registered Democrat who would not even say whether she voted for Donald Trump uh, and most certainly didn't support the Trump America First agenda. Uh, If you go look at these statistics, she actually underperformed in the Republican areas. Uh, Also, Tom Swazi, a veteran political figure, represented this district before. Uh, Anthony, you know incumbency is an enormous asset. So uh, I'm not sure this tells us anything other than some of the Republican leaders, I think, uh, selected an intrinsically weak candidate. Uh, and uh, I saw at least one poll that I have credit uh, credibility for that showed that within this same district, which was redistricted, uh, had there been a Trump-Biden matchup, uh, I saw two polls. One had Biden up by one, one had Trump up by one, that actually was more interesting to me than the outcome of this election. Well, that's, I don't know about that. I don't know if some poll is more interesting than actual people voting. I mean, I should point out that this was not Tom Suozzi's exact district. He, he did have the advantages of incumbent. He's very well known in, Suff- in Nassau County. For those of our listeners who are not from New York, he used to be the county executive there. He served time in Congress there, and then he ran for governor. So he's been around for a very long time. Look, here's, I think it's very easy. Like these, these races are sometimes like Rorschach tests. People see in them what they want to see in them. But there is an immutable fact, and that is since 2016, when uh, Donald Trump won, and he won without uh, carrying more popular votes, I should point out. Since then, the Republicans have not won in a single, a single time. 2018, it was a sweep for the Democrats, and they took over the House and Senate. 2019, in in the states that had the the races, Virginia, New Jersey, places like that, 
big wins for the Democrats, 2020, continuing, continuing. And now that we have a series of special elections that we've had, the Democrats continue to win. And it does seem to be what's interesting about this race to me is that it was made about immigration. And it was right in the middle of all the immigration debate that is going to be replayed throughout 2024. On one hand, you had Republicans saying, close the border, whatever that means. Joe Biden is the problem. Democrats are the problem. On the other side, you had Tom Suozzi saying, yeah, let's come up with solutions. And the Republicans have walked away from the table. And what's interesting also is that the areas that are most directly affected by the migrant crisis, as we call it here in the New York area, places like Creedmoor and Queens, Suozzi not only won, he swamped in those areas. So I wonder, Roger, maybe this magic bullet of immigration as an issue um, is not really the magic bullet that Republicans think it is. Maybe voters are sophisticated and they say, hey, you know, this thing does need solutions, but the way the Republicans are pursuing this is not the way to go. Uh, I don't think so. I actually think it's still going to be the dominant issue in the country for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think it is uh, the problem is our southern border is principally responsible for the fentanyl crisis in the country, principally responsible for the crime crisis in the country. And then you have cities uh, like New York, like Chicago, like Boston, who now face very significant economic problems because they can't both pay for fundamental social services for the American taxpayers while they're required, at least in New York State by law, to give social services to illegal migrants. I, I believe it will continue to be the dominant issue. Uh, and uh, I, I'm welcome to see this debate. Terrific piece in Axios this past week uh, about the dysfunction within the Biden administration in confronting what I, I think is the most important issue in the country. Certainly all of the exit and entrance polling uh, in these primaries both Republican and Democrat seem to show us it's the it has been and will be the dominant issue. You know, but I think that that answer, Roger, was very telling. And this is Roger Stone and Anthony Weiner, left versus right on WABC radio was very telling. And you listed again for the hundredth time we've heard it on the radio, the problem that we face. No one denies the problem. Joe Biden doesn't deny the problem. I don't deny the problem. The Democrats in Congress don't deny the problem. But now the adults are the solution finders, the people that sat down. And the Republicans appointed a guy named Langford, conservative guy. They, uh, uh, the Democrats appointed, the independents were, and they sat down and negotiated some fixes. Some fixes, one of the fixes would have been to make it much harder for someone to come in and request asylum in the United States to give the president new authorities to close the borders. We covered that last week. But I think what's interesting about the results in New York 3, and it also reveals itself in the polls, is what voters say they want. And it seems to be that what Mazi was saying is problem, 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 problem. And what Swazi was saying, yeah, let's come up with a solution and let's hold the Republicans accountable for walking away without solving this problem. I mean, let's, the House of Representatives is literally on some kind of recess break right now when the Senate has just passed um, Ukraine, as we mentioned, and immigration is still not getting fixed. I think it's problematic. And, and if you want to rely on polls and if you want to look at polling, National polling that came out just this week that shows about the same number of people blame the Republicans in Congress that blame Joe Biden. I think this is a failure for all of government, and then it becomes just a toss-up. And so I'm not sure this really cuts forward against anyone, but I'll give you the last word on the issue of New York 3. Uh, Anthony, let me make this easy for you. 
All we need to do is enforce the law as it's currently written. Uh, and also at the same time, let's bring back Trump's stay in Mexico policy that was canceled upon the election of Joe Biden. We don't need new laws. We may not even need additional funding. We just need to enforce the laws as they're currently written. Well, I would refer our listeners to last week's in, uh, the last week's conversation that we had that they can get on the Red Apple Podcast Network where I blew up that argument by explaining all the laws that um, uh, that people think are in effect but are not. All right, let's move on to another one. And this one is puzzling to me. Maybe it is not for you, Roger, since you've been around doing this stuff longer than I and you're smarter. So the economy is going gangbusters. At the end of 2023, the Dow continues to be in record territory. Inflation is now below the Fed target rate. Interest rates are coming down. GDP growth 4.9%. The best job market since the 60s. The lowest number of uninsured. Crime is falling across the United States. Wage growth is up. All of this amazing news, our mutual friend, uh, Mr. Kudlow, goes on TV and says, I got to admit, this is pretty amazing. Yet, despite it all, Biden and his polls seem to be in, in, in a neighborhood that is about as unpopular as we've seen any incumbent president. What is your explanation for why those two things are so widely disconnected? Uh, I think it's really pretty simple because uh, I think, uh, first of all, let's take the unemployment numbers. These are very clearly jiggered. I mean, sure, uh, unemployment showed a net of 353,000 net jobs which doubled their estimate of 180,000. But that's only if you don't count uh, the 851,000 people who in December and January stopped looking for work. If you actually look over the last year, you have a net job loss of 714,000 jobs. Now they use what they call seasonal adjustment uh, but if you look at it, uh, taking into consideration uh, the stats I just laid out, your unemployment rate would actually not be at around 3.7. It would be closer to 7.2. Uh, by the way, the Republicans and Democrats have always used the Fed to jigger these numbers. It, it, it's not really new. You, you cite the GDP. I prefer to look at the GDI, the gross, uh, uh, the gross uh, uh, income, uh, which would show that, yes, while it's true that wages have gone up, the number of hours that people are working has dropped to 34.1. This is the lowest number of hours worked in 14 years, including, by the way, in the depths of the pandemic. So what that means is the entire labor force is working less time, and therefore they are taking home more money. And I think that explains the lack of impact uh, on uh, the president's approval rating. Well, I got to tell you, Roger, I mean, it, I, I, I count on, I think that's your phone ringing, Roger. I, I, I do count on Republicans to find any bad news possible, but I guess we don't believe the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I guess we don't believe the same standards that were used under Donald Trump and every other president. And we don't believe people like Larry Kudlow. And we don't believe the consumer confidence numbers that are up. And we don't believe that the stock market is at record level. Instead, we've got to look at some obscure cross-tab that you want to pull out of the statistics. Look, the, the, the bottom line is... The, the, the stock market is driven by seven large stock Roger, uh, Roger, tech decks. The rest of the market's not doing that well, I know. Friend. You can't have it both ways. We can't have the president of the United States when it's Donald Trump 
brag about stuff, and then when Joe Biden exceeds it by arm's length, then suddenly those stats don't matter. I mean, look, I think that the listeners to our program are smart enough to understand that you can't just cherry pick these numbers that we all rely. And when I was sitting in this same seat, getting my ears boxed in for how high inflation was, getting my ears boxed in for the bad job numbers, and people were saying the Biden economy, suddenly I don't see anyone saying the Biden economy anymore. Now, I think what this comes down to is this whole issue that we touched on a little bit in the beginning, this notion of what a, not a great messenger Joe Biden is. But here's the thing. Ec the, the economy, economics, I believe drives voters more than any other issue. And it is a tr it, sometimes it's a trailing indicator, sometimes it's a leading indicator. It takes a long time for people's perceptions to turn around. And I can tell you this, the consumer confidence numbers are higher than they've been any time in four years. That's a very good sign uh, that people feel confident. That's a very good sign that they feel that they're going to have work to do. Even some of the, the numbers that look negative on their face, like an increased amount of credit card debt, that's an indication that people believe they're going to have money in their pocket to pay their bills in the future, and that's ultimately very good news. I know you don't want it to be good news when it's Joe Biden, but I think we should root for America in this uh, case. But, but why then, if all of that is true, and by the way, I would not call it the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I call it the BS because of the way they have jiggered. Did you believe that numbers. under Trump? It's the same agency. Uh, uh, I'm not sure I ever had an opinion on it uh, under Trump. But to go back to it, why is it not translating to uh, job approval support? Joe Biden's looking at the lowest level of, of approval of the job he's doing uh, of any modern president since, well, Richard Nixon. Why is that? Well, no, you mean since Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump is the second lowest at this point. Hey, listen, I, I agree with you. I think that we have now reached this this place in American political civic life that every incumbent at anything is going to get their ears boxed in. That's the way this world is right now. But remember something about elections, and I don't need to, re to remind you, Roger, you've worked to elect four presidents. And that is, at the end of the day, it comes down to a binary choice between two guys. Now, you, we're going to go into in a future episode whether it's not going to be these two guys, but for now, let's assume Trump versus Biden. And in every measurable way, Every single one, Biden has exceeded in economic terms the, the, um, the performance of Donald Trump. And I think voters are going to count on that. Uh, let, let's see if the voters feel that way, which is extraordinarily uh, important. Trump's got a great record uh, to run on. Gasoline prices, uh, inflation, no, I, I think the people do not feel better today. Uh, pardon me if I don't believe every single thing the federal government says, but I don't. You know what? Given over the last couple of years, I'm not sure most voters do either. Well, if you're going to say you don't believe statistics and you don't believe consumer confidence, which measures how they feel, I'm not sure what it is that we even have to talk about at the economy. We can just make stuff up left and right. And yes, gas prices are are, are, are definitely higher than they were when, uh, when uh, Donald Trump was talking about the way to get rid of COVID is to drink disinfectant. And to, and to splash ultraviolet light on your face. Yes. Well, also, we've also drained our petroleum reserves that are supposed to be for an emergency in order to bring gasoline prices down before the last election. That's actually, I think, endangering the national security really? well, that's for funny. political purposes. By the way, domestic oil production is the highest in history, high, higher than it was under Trump. That's because, unfortunately, Joe Biden has had to finally uh, decide that his war on fossil fuels, fuels wasn't working 
and they're giving out drilling permits again. <laughs> so basically, the, the Roger Stone explanation is, yeah, all this good news is good news, but there's a really extravagant ex explanation for everything. Hey, listen, if you're a Republican and you have to say, yes, good news, but... You're you're on your back foot in all this, but I'll give you the last the last word because we have to go to a break. Uh, good PR, but the folks aren't feeling it because it's an illusion, folks. Well, this is left versus right. Anthony Weiner representing the left. Roger Stone on your right. We'll be here until five o'clock. We really appreciate you joining us. If you miss any part of this or tune in a little late, you can get all of it on the Red Apple Podcast Network or anywhere where you get podcasts. And we'll be right back after this break. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. Roger Stone in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's the grapple in the Big Apple. Round two. 77 WABC. So welcome back to Left versus Right. Every week we're trying to have kind of spirited 2024 election year kind of debates. This year it's me, Anthony Weiner on the left, Roger Stone on the right. If you miss any of the show, you can always get it as a podcast. And also tune in tomorrow for Roger Stone's show, 4 to 6, every Sunday. And he's also reachable on thestonezone.com. I can be reached on Wiener, W-A-B-C, on Gmail, uh, at gmail.com. And as we continue going around the horn of what was a crazy week, I don't even know how to do the setup for this Georgia Rico case. First, let's say what the case is. The case is perhaps the heaviest of all of the cases out there. It's a state case, a giant Rico conspiracy case about the effort of the, the alleged effort of the Trump team to overturn the Georgia election results. But that's become the background because the prosecutor in the case, the woman in Fannie Willis, she, she has been accused. Let's see if I get this right, and Roger, feel free to correct me if I get the, the background of it wrong. She has been accused of hiring to work on the case, to be the primary prosecutor on the case, a guy who she has had a romantic relationship with. Now, from what I understand of the, of the controversy, it is not that they had a romantic relationship. It is that he may have been hired because of that relationship, not that they developed it later, and secondly, that Fannie Willis might have benefited from it in some way because of the fees being paid to this guy as an independent prosecutor might have redound to her benefit because they took trips together. Is that basically the summary of it? Did I do that well, Roger? Uh, I think that's uh, pretty accurate. I mean, uh, first of all, the, the, this fellow, Nathaniel well, Wade, pardon me, uh, is a personal injury attorney, so he has no extensive experience in prosecuting a complicated RICO case. She paid him $645,000. Money, it is alleged, came uh, from COVID funds, which allowed her to avoid having it approved by the Fulton County commissioners. Uh, she passed over uh, a career prosecutor in her office uh, who was uh, an expert uh, on RICO. He happened to be white. Um, although I'm not sure that is a, indeed a factor. Uh, but then the other key issue, uh, and this was riveting yesterday, but a little confusing, uh, is that she, it appears uh, that she lied uh, about when her relationship with Mr. Wade began. Uh, she lied in a formal capacity, uh, but one of the charges she's bringing against some of Trump's associates is that, well, that they lied. So uh, this was a riveting television yesterday. Uh, I, I don't think, although she may get removed as the prosecutor, 
that that necessarily means that the case will be dismissed. Now, the underlying premise of the case that Trump lost Georgia, knew that he lost Georgia, uh, and sought to hold on to power by seating a set of alternative electors. If you read the minutes of the alternate electors, they make it very clear that they form only to protect their rights because of a pending lawsuit. By the way, exactly what John Kennedy did in Hawaii in 1960, although in his case, his electors were ultimately seated uh, after the absentee ballot showed that he, not Vice President Nixon, had carried the state. I still think the case itself does not necessarily get dismissed. Uh, It may, in fact, go to trial. I'm not a lawyer. Others uh, disagree with me. But if she's replaced, then somebody from the Georgia State Attorney General's office uh, would have to then prosecute this case. Final point, let me know, you have cases in both federal and state court that are still very much alive, uh, challenging the underlying premise regarding the result of the election. Uh, In one of them, the Secretary of State uh, and I believe the Attorney General are currently refusing to testify in the federal case, which is before Judge Totenberg, uh, a widely respected but Democrat-appointed judge. So we shall see. I, I, I think yesterday was high theater, but what it all means in the end, well, that remains to be seen. All right. Well, that was a long and, and wandering answer to, to this, Roger. So let us bring us back to— Those are always the best ones. Yeah. Let, let us bring it back to—I the. I mean, look, the Fannie Willis, I mean, you and I are somewhat agreement on this— it's it's a lot of soap opera. It's a lot of drama, and a lot of it has to do as just to refocus us has to do with the idea. Did Fannie Willis ha- have some financial benefit that er- came to her because she hired this guy? And the reason why that might be relevant is because then she might be influenced in whether or not she cuts a deal, whether or not she 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 proceeds in a certain way because someone's on the clock that she cares about. So I get the conflict of interest. I'm not a lawyer either. I think our, our conversation probably benefits from that. Um, but let's, you wanted to focus on the underlying facts in the case, and I kind of do also. Let's just kind of reset the table because I think a couple of things you said there might leave people with a misunderstanding. This effort to seat the electors that they did in Georgia, and they were trying to do it in other states as well, was after the, the legislature in Georgia had already seated correctly a, a set of, of electors. After there had already been three recounts, after the president and his people were told repeatedly that there was no fraud, that there wasn't, that the, that the results were correct. After the famous Rothenberger conversation. This is not something that went on during the normal process. You referred to the Kennedy years. That went on during the normal process when they're trying to choose the electors and decide. And that would be completely appropriate. This is in the, in the, at the tail end of the month of December. In December, and some of it even took place in January. So everyone knew that this case had been decided. That's where the, 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 the fraud arrives. That's where the undermining the, the results arrives. And that's where the allegation is very serious. Now, if we believe that at any point someone could say, this has gone through the courts, this has been contested. Did I mention that? That already this had been contested in the courts of Georgia. This had already been contested in the legislature in, 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 in Georgia. The results were final. 
that's where the problem arrives because then it becomes, wait a minute, if you've already followed all, all that the law says, if you've already followed all the political processes and what you're doing is you're sneaking around and Roger Stone, you mentioned the minutes of this fake electors. Minutes of fake electors don't account to anything. All that is is someone trying to cover their butt. That's why people have pleaded guilty in this case already. Now, whether it still goes to trial is anyone's guess. Uh, the minutes actually prove intent. They're very important. Secondarily, uh, why haven't these cases, particularly the federal case before Judge Totenberg, which questions the integrity of the machines, why haven't they been dismissed? They've actually survived motions for dismissal. And why wouldn't Secretary of State Raffenberger want to testify? By the way, if you want to go listen to that very, very long phone conversation between the president and his lawyers and Mr. Raffenberg's lawyers uh, and members of his staff, Trump does not say, go find me 11,860,000 votes. That is entirely out of context. What he says is, you have already inadvertently counted more than 11,860,000 votes that were illegal, and he actually enumerates how well, many Roger, of them what are did, people What about Raffensperger's side? What did he say to President Trump? Uh, Raffensperger uh, treaded water, uh, if you read the entire... No, Raffensperger said four times in that conversation, there's no evidence of any fraud. We've done the recount, and Mr. President, you lost. And Trump says, yes, and we'll show you people who voted who do not live in the state. I understand. We'll show you people who voted right. so in other uh, who words, are dead. In other words, the experts in Georgia told the president in that call he lost. The Look, expert, he, the elected attorney general who's got a Republican? bias here. Yeah, an anti-Trump Republican. <laughs> exactly. Do you see everything? By the in, way, and you based on party, Roethlisberger. Rother, well, we are doing left versus right here, Roger. So yes, right. I am conservative, seeing, conservative versus liberal, not necessarily Republican versus. Well, Democrat. by the way, and if you want to see Roethlisberger's testimony, you can go look at it. You can look at the January sixth hearing where he lays this out very clearly. Love to see him testify in the Totenberg case. I'm but, wondering why. Listen, he won't. A, a grand total of one person in this conversation even knows what the Totenberg case is. So you got one up on me. All right, we have, I think, a, a couple of minutes here left in in this segment. Let's uh, go to the next one, and this one uh, is Global Galactic. Who knows what it is? Earlier this week, there was a, a, a quiver of news that came out of Washington, very suspicious. A member of of Congress who who sits on the Intelligence Committee says there's very big uh, intelligence that we've gotten that shows that we might be in danger, and I think the president should reveal it. Everyone's like, what is he talking about? It later turns out that there is intelligence that's been gathered that Russia has developed a space-based, perhaps even nuclear threat. Uh, the administration has not really said much about this, except there's kind of general consensus that that's what this challenge is. It doesn't seem like it's anything imminent. Is there much to talk about here? Is there any really mystery that probably both Russia and the United States and China, everyone is probably trying to figure out the next frontier of warfare? Or do you think there's more here than meets the eye? Uh, uh, look, I understand media and how it works. So do you. You've got a number of big stories here that this administration has a healthy interest in getting off the, the front pages. Certainly the story about the uh, the her report and the and the mental condition uh, of President Biden, which it raised questions about. Still like to hear those tapes. Uh, you also have this story that uh, was in the New York Post. I guess it was Friday uh, about the Central Intelligence Agency working with uh, foreign intelligence agencies pre-steel dossier to begin surveillance of uh, 26 Trump supporters. So I can see why they might have a healthy interest. But there's a Republican in, in get, that leaked this. 
Well, I think he's calling their bluff, actually, because uh, it's now up to Jake Sullivan. By the way, he doesn't look too good in that Durham report. It's up to Jake Sullivan to put up or shut up. Uh, this could be real, but pardon me if I'm a, a bit Well, but Roger, hold on time. a second. I just want to understand the Roger Stone 15 dimensions of conspiracy theory here. You're saying a Republican leaked this and created this whole stir about it to help Joe Biden? That doesn't make I, any I, sense. I, I, no, I think he... I think he came forward because uh, he wants to find out what if there's something really there. The next move is uh, is up to the administration. But wait a minute, but what is the part that you uh, think that Joe Biden used this as a cover-up? He, they didn't announce this. The Republicans uh, did. Uh, again, you had a giant uh, media conflagration. Uh, I think it is an effort to change the subject. Maybe I'll be right. By who? Anthony, by whom, uh, Roger? F- finish the thought. By who? Uh, by the uh, by the Uniparty. That's by who. Oh, for God's sakes, the Uniparty. Okay, so we're to believe, with this explanation, that a Republican leader on the Intelligence Committee, I think it's Rogers, I don't remember who it was, came out and got hearts of fluttering about this case as part of a grand conspiracy by the Unistate to change the conversation from the Her Report. All right. You know, this is the I have to tell you, Roger, I, I, this is why I think a lot of listeners to news and commentary, their eyes roll, because there's so much multi-level conspiracy theory. Sometimes, sometimes you know, a cigar is just a cigar. Not uh, that, 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 that sometimes it is that, frankly, some, someone gets a piece of intelligence, they flip out about it, and the administration, from everything they said, try to tamp this down as fast as they could. But you did mention this other story. We just have a couple of minutes left. CIA working with foreign intelligence to survey Trump associates. Do you really want to go back to that issue, you of all people? I'd like to find out uh, whether I, I was bumped. I mean, uh, yeah, I think I'm one of the 26. This, by the way, would predate the uh, the uh, Steele dossier. Uh, so it shows the direct involvement uh, of the Central Intelligence Agency in domestic American politics, but you avoid accountability and you maintain plausible deniability uh, by asking one of your intelligence agency colleagues in another country to spy on supporters of Donald Trump. Where's the probable cause? Well, if we want to if we want to get back to this, our listeners can go read the thousand page report that was put out by the Republicans, by Marco Rubio and the Republicans in the state Senate, in in uh, in, in the United States Senate about the Trump, uh, um, the Trump uh, uh, c- contacts with Russia that concluded the Russian government disrupted the American election that concluded Russian intelligence services viewed members of the trust ca- the trust uh, of the Trump campaign as being easily manipulated that some of Trump's advisors for eager to help I'm reading from the report now from an American advisor uh, adversary uh, yes there's no doubt about it our intelligence community was desperately concerned about Trump and about Trump's about Trump's associates because they were spending nonstop during the 2016 election and before playing footsie with the Russians. So uh, yes, I'm, they were concerned. Uh, I'm, I'm extremely cons- uh, familiar with that report. I can tell you, Anthony, firsthand. Every single reference to me in the report is categorically false. I mean, I understand cut and paste from the Huffington Post, but that doesn't make something a fact. Yeah, it was a bipartisan committee. Name the Republican on there who was a Trump supporter or uh, not a critic. Of Marco the Rubio. Uh, Marco Rubio uh, is a neocon. That, that, that report is badly flawed. I can speak to every individual reference to me is false. I, 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 false. I appreciate that. And Roger Stone, thank you for another spirited conversation. This has been the, the left versus right. Roger, I, I really enjoy these. You're very good at this. You've obviously been doing it a while. Uh, perhaps John will, and Curtis will let us go, uh, do it again in the future. 
Well, Anthony, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a conspiracy realist. There you go. Great, you go. great to be with you. I, I certainly enjoyed it. So this has been Anthony Weiner and Roger Stone. Left versus right. If you missed any part of this, um, go and download it on the Right Apple Podcast Network, anywhere you get podcasts. And if you'd like to reach out to us, thestonezone.com is where you can reach Roger. Weiner, W-A-B-C at gmail.com is where you can reach me. And don't forget, tomorrow at 4 o'clock, Tune in for the Roger Stone Show. He's got some great guests, a great program. And this has been Anthony Weiner. Thank you so much for joining us on Left vs. Right. We'll see you next week.